2: I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com
0: and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1.
3: On this edition of the Pop Culture Cosmos Show, it's a wrap up of WrestleMania 33 with Joe Vernola of PHX Wrestling joining us. Plus, Josh Peterson and I discuss The Mummy, Injustice Gods Among Us 2, and he reviews Ghosts in the Shell. All this and a great track from Plasma Z, and we also start the countdown of our top 25 films. It's another pile driver of an episode we have for you today as we delve into the Pop Culture Cosmos.
4: Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos.
3: And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from the Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, and also Humanity Media. We are available each and every Monday night, 1030 p.m. Eastern, 7:30 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. We're still the number one show on the Podcast Radio Network, and it's all because of you. And we truly appreciate you listening to us. I am once again flanked by my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind humanican media is Josh Peterson. How are you, sir?
5: I'm good, man. Just uh, you know, Sunday night ready to talk some pop culture and uh
3: let's uh let's do this. What's going on with your tremendous venture known as Humanican Media?
5: You know, just the huge man. We got the uh What About This podcast coming up uh next week. And if you haven't checked out the last episode, check it out now. It's up on uh, YouTube, Podbean, Podcast.com, iTunes. Uh, and then starting April 10th, we have a daily show coming at you called The Morning Monitor, which will be Monday through Thursday, I think. And uh, uh, so that, that'll be like a little uh, little tech talk, nerd news type type thing. Um, and then, yeah, so far, that's it right now.
3: And if you really, really need to keep up to date with what's going on here with the Pop Culture Cosmos, Check it out on Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. And don't forget, our show can be downloaded anytime, either the Pop Culture Cosmos show or the PCC Multiverse, our Friday show on the podcast radio network, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific there. But you can download our shows anytime on our Pop Culture Cosmos channels on, well, I'm going to give you the list right now. It's iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, Gunna Geek, Stitcher, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangent Bound Network, and podcast.com. That's nine different choices for you out there. And also, if you download our show, you also get a little bonus podcast from us here in the Pop Culture Cosmos universe or Humanican Media as well. So it's another great show we got lined up for you. We've got Joe Vernola coming up here, pretty much one of the biggest voices here in the West Coast for professional wrestling. He's going to share his thoughts on the WrestleMania 33 card that just happened and where the WWE is going to go from there. We've also got a great interview from CES with Echo Box. We're going to run down our top 25 picks from 25 to 11. We're going to do that later in the show and also some thoughts on Injustice, Gods Among Us number two we're going to share some thoughts on that as well but i i hope josh that you got recently a a chance to check out the mummy video that that just came aboard Uh, i know a lot of people uh, are interested in the mummy being uh, well reignited as it were with tom cruise at the helm and and sort of a little different slant on it what are your thoughts after checking out the latest trailer for the mummy and the hopes for for them incorporating that into a whole line of of more monster movie universe.
5: I'm not sure about like how it's going to tie into the rest of the monster universe. Obviously, Russell Crowe is uh, Doctor Jekyll. I, I remember us talking That's right. about. Yes. But yeah, as far as marketing goes for the movie, they've done a pretty good job w- with their trailers of making it so they don't give away. They're giving away a little more with each trailer, and the whole idea of uh, Tom Cruise being cursed, but you know, she's the, the, mummy's using him for something. It's like, it's interesting. So it's building a lot of intrigue there, at least for me. You know, I remember when I, when the original mummy came out and uh, Imhotep is getting mummified alive, I remember I was a kid and I saw that just gave me nightmares for weeks. And I saw that they put that part back into the trailer. So uh, of this new one, so we'll, we'll see, maybe it'll capture some of the tear of the original and still, you know, be a, a, a fun ride for moviegoers.
3: I hope so as well. It looks like it has a little bit more darker feel than the previous movie movies those uh, especially the first two were kind of campy in nature as far as more of into the action aspect as opposed to the maybe a little bit more of a scary horror type this seems to be maybe a little bit edging towards the the horror slant but not so much that it takes away from the action thriller standpoint as well so it looks like it definitely is going to be something that that could be very promising indeed what are your thoughts out there on the mummy? And do you think it's going to be something that's going to lead into a, you know, big mummy monster universe with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and the Wolfman? We talked about uh, Dracula previously as well. Share us your thoughts if this is something you would be interested in. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter or Humanican Media on Twitter as well. Josh, you, you got the chance to see this weekend Ghost in the Shell, Scarlett Johansson's latest movie came out to somewhat decent reviews but also was well did not quite meet expectations. Expectations were 20 to 25 million at domestic box office, came in right around 19. So just missed those expectations. But your thoughts on the film and your prospects for seeing something with staying within the Ghost in the Shell universe?
5: I I mean I didn't hate it I was I was pleasantly surprised by it I honestly I was expecting something like Speed Racer and that movie was just terrible you know it it kind of went like there wasn't a lot that was tweaked from the anime besides the obvious fact that Scarlett Johansson is not Japanese but I mean other than that like it was it was good it was, it was I would call it a visual feast I, I the story uh, if you don't know anything about the anime I could see the story being really confusing but it was. Is full of action. the The visuals were fantastic, and it was, you know, I, I think it was a great step forward as far as uh, anime adaptations go for as in in American cinema.
3: So we truly want to thank you for for being part of our show today. Again, like I said, we've got a lot on the plate. Talk about our top twenty five films that we're going to start doing the countdown later on in the show. Injustice: Gods Among Us Two, we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show as well. Also got Echo Box standing by from CES 2017. But first, we've got a great track we're going to play for you a little bit. This is Level 1 from Plasma Z on the Pop Culture Cosmos. That was level one by Plasma Z. Check out his work today on SoundCloud. Hi, this is Josh from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey, everyone. If you're in the Southern California area and are looking for the best way to improve your home, look no further than adding some always green synthetic grass today. Whether it's creating that awesome backyard that's kid and pet friendly or that putting green to work on your golf game. Always Green provides installation and landscaping with only American made products such as their famous synthetic turf with advanced drainage technology and backed by a 15 year warranty that will have your yard looking great for a very long time. Always Green also installs retaining walls, custom lighting and driveways, and the most beautiful stone walkways, so if you live in the Southern California area, what are you waiting for? Financing is also available, so call for a free estimate today, 714-614-7814. That's 714-614-7814 or stop by their store at 16772 Wanda Circle in Huntington Beach and get your home looking great with Always Green Synthetic Turf and Putting Greens. A proud sponsor of Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanikin Media, and the PCC Multiverse channels. We are back live here again at CES 2017. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glass from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We want to thank you for listening and thank you for watching right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. I'm here today with Sam McKinney from Echo Box. And I'm telling you what, I had to make sure I made my way over here because I tell you what, you've got a lot of great products right now in the offering for customers. Is that correct?
2: You know, first and foremost, I appreciate that because we have put a lot of work into what we've done here and we're extremely proud to be presenting this brand new line of products at CES 2017. Um, I'd be happy to take you through some of these if you have any questions. Absolutely. Absolutely, indeed. why don't we get started? Um, So, I want to start with our brand new introductory earphone line. It's called the Traveler. Okay. The Traveler is just spectacular. It is a $99 solid titanium earphone that uses a new pioneering technology that we are developing called PEAK, polyether ether ketone. It's a high tensile polymer material that we have been able to take and turn into a dynamic driver. Very, very, very thin. Thinner than almost anything else that's ever been made. Um, Dynamic driver that goes inside of here in an extremely small profile. It's only 9.2 millimeters, but the soundstage that it's able to represent in that small package... Mm, Very nice. For people that might not be familiar with frequency range, the average human hearing frequency, what we are actually capable of picking up, is on average 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. So we're actually 5 hertz below the lowest that humans can hear. And 20,000 hertz, which goes into a lot of very interesting studies about sonic and acoustic frequency perception um, and how it enhances the clarity of the music, even if you can't directly percept.
3: But that's such a diverse range of sound quality. Obviously, it that, is. Obviously, that does help as far as the overall quality of the product, correct? Well,
2: obviously, what we're trying to accomplish is even if you can't pick up something that's at 35,000 hertz, we know for a fact that we've got you covered within the range that you can. The frequency spectrum response is just out of this world. This earphone will be competitive in sound to things that are 10 times this price. And that is exactly what we designed it to do. Not to mention, it's made out of solid titanium, so you can literally throw this on the ground and run over with a semi-truck. We've done it a couple times. You can find some videos online. <laughs> so this is our cheap earphone, <laughs> $99. And it already packs a punch at 10 times its price point. And so I'd love to take you on to the But next that's one. a great
3: value for something, like of you said, course. under a yeah, $100 absolutely. price point of to course. have something that quality, that detailed, that tough and resistant is obviously a great value indeed. Well, so, you know,
2: with our company, our our really our stance is that we've looked around the industry at everything that's out there, and we see that the quality that people are getting is not matching up to the price that they're paying.
3: But there's also other great products that you guys at Echo Box really have a lot to offer the customers as well but all the the traveler like you said is a great start indeed um
2: so why don't i move on to the finder the finder finder. is what we have actually based our company off this is how we built our success it was our flagship product up until now it is a unbelievable piece of technology it's extremely simple in its concept but extremely advanced in its design It is solid titanium. Are you noticing a theme here? Exactly. Solid titanium housings. It uses the same type of technology, the peak material for the dynamic driver on the inside. It's got our tangle-free technology on the cable. So if you just kind of unwrap this thing and chuck it out, so let's just say that you pull this out of your pocket, it's just going to completely come undone. Even if there's a little knot in there, you just kind of unspring it, and it's going to come through. No more mess, no more hassle. We have something called an aft system. And what it is stands for Acoustic Filter Tuning. Unscrew the nozzle of the earphone, and screw a new one on. There are three different filters that come with it. There's a bass filter, a reference filter, and a treble filter. And what it allows you to do is completely customize the sound signature of the finder to your preference and your style. Oh, very nice indeed. So it's a fully customizable, universal earphone. We also ship all of our earphones standard with Comply T400 Isolation Series memory foam ear tips. It's actually a really cool company out of Minnesota in the United States um, that is making thermal reactive memory foam ear tips and what is cool about them, they're not only memory foam so when they get into your ear canal they're obviously going to expand, but once they're in they actually are thermal reactive so they work with your body heat so the fit and the seal for noise isolation and sound quality is beyond any tip that you've ever experienced. Oh, that's awesome. The only thing better than this is a custom tip. And for a custom tip, we've actually partnered with a company from the UK called Snugs, which we have here at our booth doing real-time 3D scanning technology of the interior of your ear canal Mm -hmm. to build a 3D render and then make a custom-molded ear tip that goes on our earphone and turns it into a completely custom But these fit perfectly into your ear. You're not going to notice that they're there. They isolate all the sound, and they never come out. So if you have an issue with your earphone falling out, that's your solution. Oh, sweet indeed. Absolutely. So that actually brings me to our next uh, earphone here. We've actually got our new flagship product. So okay. as much as we love the Finder, beautiful product, this is our new flagship. It's called the Nomad. The Nomad is a powerhouse of an earphone. It uses the same technology for drivers, That's what we're trying to pioneer. Still titanium in there? Absolutely. Titanium housings, but it's got a couple interesting features on it. It's got a fully replaceable cable, so I'll show you on our Bluetooth model over here. If you just snap off the cable from the end of it, you can fully replace the cable. So depending on what you listen through with your phone or your device that you have, like the Explorer, or how you want to listen, for example, Bluetooth or standard cable, All you have to do is instead of buying a new earphone, you just get a new cable. Oh, sweet. And so currently we have on the offering a standard 3.5mm connector cable in uh, either an Apple or an Android certified version, Um, but over the next three to six months we're also going to be rolling out our fully lossless APTX 4.0 Bluetooth
3: cable, a USB-C cable Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. You've got a great line of products right now that that I'm seeing, and it's just truly incredible, especially the way that you're incorporating titanium into all the products. So if you happen to be
2: in Southeast Asia, South Korea, or Japan, you can walk into any number of different retailers through there, such as Yodobashi or e-earphone, okay. and be able to find all of our products. Oh, that's awesome. Exactly. But if you're outside of those areas, a lot of what we do is actually direct-to-consumer fulfillment from our own website. Oh, sweet. It's a pretty simple process. We take care of all the customer service ourselves. You can just go to echoboxaudio.com, and you'll find everything available. These two earphones and the next product I want to talk about, which is our Explorer, which okay. is a high-fidelity audio player, okay. are all... Debuting at the end of Q1. So sometime at the end of March, you're going to be able to start getting them. And in the U.S., we do have some select boutique retailers. For example, if you're on the East Coast, you can go check out High def Lifestyle or Gramophone. Walk in and check out their showroom floor, and you'll be able to try out all of our products. But if you want to get them and get them within five days, go on our website, and we will ship them directly to your house. Oh, very nice indeed. So that brings me to the Explorer. This is our extremely interesting product that I'm sure you are already looking at and going what is it and what does it do? So, the Explorer is designed... Okay. how many people have asked, oh, that looks that looks like a canteen? Dude, everybody that picks it up does this. They hold it in their hand, and they go... Exactly. Tilt it, back. it looks like a flask. But, also because of that, that's a very thick battery. There's not really any way of making it a smaller battery. I'm hoping somebody will develop that technology down the road. But, when you want to make something that's big be smaller, and the way that it sits in your
3: hand, it's a very, very portable device, even for its size problem. Indeed, indeed. It, it, to people out there that are listening, it's, like you said, it was you know kind of looks like a flask, but if you're just worried about its size and all, it's like, think of it like a small wallet. Exactly. And
2: the reason why we developed the Explorer is for one purpose and one purpose alone. Make music sound the best it can possibly be. The Explorer uses some extremely high-caliber technology on the inside with regards to audio processing. We have a dedicated digital audio converter made by Texas Instruments that we've customized specifically for our device. And a very, very powerful series of amplifiers. This is going to be able to make them go to their full capacity without the use for an external amplifier. Very nice. So, what I like to tell people that are not used to hi-fi about what the Explorer does and why they should have it is that it allows you to hear your favorite music in a way that you've never heard before, exactly as the artist originally intended it to be when they were in the original studio. So, if you go to echoboxaudio.com or go to any of our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's
3: at Echobox Audio. Well, I appreciate your time, Sam. Thanks for being a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks for checking out the PCC. You know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. It's time for more sarcasm, more gloating, more pop culture BS and ridiculous video game chat as GamerCast returns for Season 2. My name is Rob McCallum and this year, once again, I'm joined by Mr. Glenn Stanway and my lifelong friend Jay Bartlett. This year, the show moves to a slightly different format, favoring a more unedited adventure that lets us include more topics as we get together once a month to vent and celebrate everything going on in the gaming industry today and yesteryear. So if you like the idea of arguing with us, though we'll never be able to hear you, then you definitely want to check out GamerCast. Season 2 is really going to take it up a notch. That's GamerCast here on the PCC, the Pop Culture Cosmos, on iTunes, and on Podbean
3: and we're back my name is gerald glass from pop culture cosmos and game source we truly appreciate you listening out there right here on the podcast radio network if you want to download the show you know fear not we were on all those channels that i talked about earlier itunes stitcher google play podcast.com TuneIn, in eso network the tangiband network the gunna geek network and mixcloud as well so, Josh, I want to ask you if you have seen the footage in Justice Gods Among Us number two. So what are your thoughts right now on it? And does it really look it look like it can invigorate the fighting game genre?
5: Um, it looks good. I got to be honest. I'm not very good at, uh, you know, this type of fighting games. I, I no, played the- but
3: but it, this type of association might might get a lot of people like you and I that are casual players into it maybe.
5: Yeah, for sure. I mean, because I I played what was the last one they, they had. Didn't they have a DC versus Mortal Kombat game? Was that
3: yes, yes. And then they did Injustice Gods Among Us. Okay, okay.
5: Yes, yeah. I played that, and I played the first Injustice, and they were. Uh, it was to me, it was the cinematics that made you want to play the game, and then I ended up getting the game, and you know, I was colossally bad at it. But yeah, I, I think that it it has the potential. It has. I mean, right now is a great time to be releasing a game like that, just because the DC universe is kicking off and. You know, people are interested in these characters. So I, I would like to see a game like that where they approach it from a story perspective. And it's not just like two people jumping in the ring to fight each other.
3: And I do like the cinematics, especially once they get a little bit uh, different with the specials and whatnot. I, from what I've seen already, it, it just really looks like a, a, a very polished game as far as overall the fighting experience seems to be fun and entertaining. And if it is approachable for casual audiences and not something that people can e- easily get dissuaded by because they'll be on a losing streak or whatnot If they could still find it fun competing with with all the other arch nemesis and and different individuals in both the dc universe that are both good and bad that'd be awesome indeed what are your thoughts out there everyone on injustice gods among us too share us your thoughts and also who would you like to play as or who you or are you getting ready to play as in injustice gods among us who we'd love to hear what character you're going to play let us know your thoughts PopCultureCosmos cosmos at yahoo.com also humanic and media and pop culture cosmos on facebook and twitter but before we uh head on out to a break i wanted to ask you real quick uh which character would you play within the DC universe if it, uh, you know, comes to light in Injustice: Gods Among Us 2?
5: Ooh, I would play as John Constantine. I, I just some, something about him. Like, I feel like he would make. You know, obviously he couldn't stand up against like Superman or somebody, but like, imagine like if he used his uh, his dark magic to, he could probably do some pretty cool things, like both visually and you know, in, in the game itself. So. Yep, that's who I pick. Who would you pick?
3: Well, as a homage to the Justice League cartoons I used to watch as a kid, I would probably say the lesser-known character. I, I know he was actually, I believe, introduced in the last Injustice Gods Among Us. But Jonah Hex? No, 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 no. That, that movie spoiled it for me. <laughs>
5: Did you ever watch the uh, the old Justice League cartoons? yes i did and on, do you remember how jonah hex used to just randomly ride his horse across the screen just okay. out of, in the middle of nowhere like what is a horse doing in a space station
3: i would probably have to say going back in time to to that realm i'd probably say solomon Grundy, because solomon grande is gonna get the super friends so uh, as far as using my a uh, little bit of a voice there so cuz that's no, who, I I I thought
5: that you were Solomon Grundy for a moment I, I was just Grundy's like I was like, Gerald G-
3: G- 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 you guys, guys see Gerald
5: G- I just see Solomon Grundy right here
3: get on, get the super friends so indeed so that's who I would pick I think the game looks really fun and I think it really bodes well for the fighting game genre in the future and I I think it with the right support can really prove to be a a really strong
0: Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games.
3: And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to us. Wrestlemania 33 has just ended and who better to talk about it with me he is the executive producer of phx wrestling the ring announcer for the united wrestling network the play-by-play commentary and ring announcer for the arizona wrestling federation he is one of the major voices for professional wrestling on the west coast it is joe vernola how are you my friend
4: I'm doing well. That list of uh, credentials sounds much more impressive when it's coming from someone else. Thank you very much. Uh, But I'm, I'm doing pretty well. What
3: a show. If you didn't get a chance to check out WrestleMania 33 live on the WWE Network, it was a very strong card from top to bottom. First off, your thoughts on the card as a collective whole. And I know the first thing that's going to come out you know, with some of the, maybe the general fan reaction is that it maybe lasted a little bit too long, especially going in people who were thinking this was going to be a six hour televised event in the first place, your thoughts on, on maybe all the matches and maybe next time, maybe condensing it out because they've done that before where they've uh, had WrestleManias that have been longer. And then maybe as a reaction to that, maybe shorten them up. Do you see that possibly happening in the future going forward?
4: I really hope that they don't condense the card. I mean, yes, seven hours is quite an undertaking, but they're only asking for seven hours once a year. I mean, yeah, the Royal Rumble was about five and a half, six hours this year. SummerSlam, you can probably look at being a pretty lengthy amount of time, but it's not like they're asking us to do seven hours 12 times a year or anything like that. And I don't think that they should condense the card by any means. Now, I want to get tell everybody
3: out there, if you didn't get a chance to check it out, some of the highlights indeed. Uh, let's start off with, obviously, the, the thing that, that everybody's going to be talking about the most is that it looks like from all appearances that Undertaker is, is going to be uh, retiring. He did lose his match with Roman Reigns. The Hardy Boys, which have been heavily rumored to come over to the WWE from the Ring of Honor and also Impact Wrestling, their previous stops. That has been something that looks like it was going to materialize somewhere in the near future, and that happened starting this evening as they not only debuted on the card itself, but also as well they captured the tag team titles for the Raw side. Uh, Kevin Owens, in a battle of Canadians over the United States belt, did defeat Chris Jericho. And also, another big match that was uh, definitely one of the main drawing points of the individual card itself. The big man, Brock Lesnar, did defeat Bill Goldberg for the Universal Championship. All that said and done, what stuck out to you the most at WrestleMania 33?
4: The fatal four way for the Raw Women's Championship. Bailey, Charlotte, Nia Jackson, Sasha Banks. I thought all four women really brought it there. They're really trying to put a focus on that, which obviously with the announcement of the tournament this week and the work they've been doing with that division the last couple of years, they're really going to focus on it. Probably a couple years ago, the six woman match may have been cut and it wasn't cut this year, which I think is a huge step in the right direction, especially for that division and the mindset that they're, that they're trying to get there and putting them on an equal pedestal, which they should be on There's no reason, especially when they're putting on matches like they have been and both women's matches tonight were really solid. I thought everyone, but Bailey was going to win the women's title match. And that might just be because I was a bit of an idiot, but I I didn't expect Bailey to win. So that was a pleasant surprise the biggest thing coming away from the show other than obviously the undertaker calling it a career. And when you leave your hat, your jacket, your gloves, everything in the ring, there, there's no, no two ways about it. Taker's done. He did everything short of taking his boots off and leaving them in the ring. And that's going to be the biggest thing going away from it. The biggest thing for me coming away was the fact that they really are putting a lot of effort and attention into this women's division. I was getting texts from a couple of my Navy buddies during the show, like they're going to cut this women's match, man. They're going to cut this women's match. and like, nah, dude, they're not going to cut it. They're not, trust me. But it, it, it just, the fact that they're paying attention to it, I'm being really long-winded now. I apologize. But th- that was my biggest takeaway. Obviously, the Cena proposal is going to be a huge takeaway, especially with uh, the mainstream audience from e and everybody's girlfriend watching total divas or wives or girlfriends watching to oh wow john cena finally proved that, that's gonna get the mainstream attention that this show is that this show is gonna get because of the cena proposal because a guy that's been doing it for 25 27 30 years now in the undertaker is wrapping it up even people that aren't Wrestling fans, right now they were wrestling fans fifteen, twenty, however many years ago, and they know the Undertaker, and they it's going to be oh wow he was still wrestling, and then B he's retired. That would be the biggest takeaway. The the pre-show was on USA. Granted, this is something that has happened before with Sunday Night Heat and everything else, but for it to be on USA on WrestleMania Sunday, it was just a huge takeaway. the the mainstream attention there's so many things to take away from this show
3: and for hardcore fans the obviously the the entrance of the hardys being there maybe a little bit sooner than a lot of people had suggested even though they had not taken any real dates beyond uh april the end of april Mm -hmm. they still hinted in radio interviews this week and press interviews that they're actually going to be still stay on the independent scene for for at least the short term. So look, uh, and in fact, um, I believe uh, Brother Nero had said something about being through the summer. So obviously Mm -hmm. they were playing everybody and and ended up being, you know, they they not only made a great debut, but obviously from the chorus of of people that that had chanted, delete, 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 that they are definitely going to be something that that at least short term will be a a nice change of pace for WWE fans out there. Oh. Oh, definitely, the Hardys, who, who basically have recreated their image within the span of a year, have now thrust themselves back into the best spotlight available for them. Yes, they could have made a nice living, indeed, out in the independent scene with Ring of Honor and also you know going to Japan, Mexico, uh, Europe, what have you. But it's always nice to see when you have something that really works, it's, it's going to be given a chance to put it on the biggest spotlight available. Now, I want to ask you real quick your thoughts on maybe the match that may not have met up to the expectations and one that, outside of the women's match, really surprised you and exceeded
4: your expectations. I like how you had to put that caveat in because you knew what the answer was going to be. I think going into it, a lot of people thought Austin Aries and... Neville was going to steal the show and I kind of thought they were going to too. That's not to say I'm disappointed in what they did. They had a fantastic match, but as far as disappointments, man, I, it wasn't something completely opposite of, what I actually mean here when I say this match, but the Randy Orton Bray Wyatt match was just disappointing. And it had nothing to do with the worms and the maggots and the mind games. I thought all that stuff was really cool. I thought that was some next level stuff. That's stuff that they've been trying with Wyatt. And I really liked it. I enjoyed it. As a fan, Randy Orton winning that match kind of left a sour taste in my mouth and left me scratching my head a bit because I don't, I don't know what's coming next and that's not why it left the sour taste in my mouth. I like being left in suspense and everything, but I want to see how it makes sense. Now in the grand scheme of things with the whole revenge angle and everything Orton, Orton winning does make sense. Don't get put the way it ended as quickly as it ended and the fact that Randy Orton's the champion now—it's it, it, all just a bit of a head scratch. Is it like okay, what now? Like I, I really—well,
3: the, the match the- was short. The i mat- will give you that. And you know, you—you you and I, uh, as experienced fans, know that that Randy Orton has a lot of talent. Um, yeah, he, he's amazing. given the—he is amazing. Uh, he gives—he's—he's he's had a lot. He has a lot of talent. He brings a lot to the table. But every time he's been given the opportunity to take a run at a championship, he's never really moved the needle, in my opinion, and a lot of other opinions as far as people who have uh, understood the industry as maybe from a you know a plus plus-minus business standpoint, yeah. he's, he's not, it's not that he's done too bad. It's just that he's never really just generated enough behind him, either as a, a heel or a face, mm-hmm. a good guy or a bad guy. Either which way, so it's just that
4: he doesn't. Just, he doesn't have the gravity.
3: No, he has a um, talent, but he's just that he's there, and people know that he's always deserving of a, of a at or a near the uh, top spot. But to ha- when he has that top spot and he's given that opportunity, just never seems to take a hold of it one hundred percent. He's like Jay Cutler
4: without the sourpuss. <laughs> <laughs> very good comparison indeed you know, jay cutler's got the skill and everything but there's just something missing that it that it doesn't put him over the top exactly because he's never able to
3: really connect with the fans 100 he take it he can never take it to that next level and and mm-hmm. the decision to to take the title off of bray wyatt so soon i understand the reasoning like you behind it but i'm not Sure, I'm keen with it, I, and I yeah. was hoping. I, I mentioned when I was uh, in our WrestleMania preview on Friday, I had mentioned that I think Bray Wyatt's championship run came two years too late, and it appears to me that 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 maybe WWE is in that same line of thinking that maybe they should have placed the belt on him when he was a little bit hotter, a couple when when he's really hot a couple years ago, um, right. But uh, I want to, one last thing before we head on out and obviously give you a chance to tell everybody what you're up to overall, what do you see going forward for the WWE as far as for the rest of the year, your thoughts on where, cause WWE, the WrestleMania, let's put it this way. WrestleMania is the placeholder for the entire year and, and now right. kicks off a new season for the WWE on where they go, where they are going in the future. Obviously, Roman Reigns getting that win over The Undertaker is a big step in his career, and obviously that's going to be key going forward for him, main eventing maybe even next year, but your thoughts on on the WWE as a whole as it goes
4: forward? I think that the real start of the new season is Monday Night Raw, whereas... WrestleMania is like the Super Bowl, the World Series, the championship night and everything. But since there's no off-season, the next season just starts the next day. Monday night the,
3: after the WrestleMania, you will see a lot of debuts, a lot of uh, uh, programs that are moving in a different direction, things of that nature. Right. And, and that, like you said, that is basically the start, the kickoff of a new season. So what do you foresee going forward for the WWE from this point?
4: it's going to be Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. I don't see any way that it's not unless they do it earlier, but they're not going to do it earlier. SummerSlam is their next big show. That's going to be their marquee matchup is going to be Reigns versus Lesnar. Other than that, I'm really interested to see who they call up tonight now. I think Nakamura definitely gets the call up. It's probably too early for anyone else other than maybe Asuka, and I think they probably bring her they probably bring her in and send her right into a program with Bailey. Gonna be a huge focus on Reigns and Lesnar. Nakamura is definitely gonna make some pretty big waves here. And it's gonna start Monday night. Well, Joe, it's been a great pleasure talking to you here, but before we go, where can they get a hold of everything that's going on in your life in regards to professional wrestling? There's a few different places uh, they can find it. Um, Arizona wrestling federation uh, on Facebook or youtube.com slash Arizona wrestling. Um, You can find the United wrestling network on the fight app. You can at least find championship wrestling from Hollywood on the fight app. The only way to see championship wrestling from Arizona outside the Tucson area is to go to CWFA's Facebook right now, Championship Wrestling from Arizona. But but the big one, the one I'm really proud of, is uh, PHX Wrestling. You can find that on Facebook, PHX Wrestling. You can go to phxwrestling.com. We've got a show coming up May 6th at the Nile Theater. That's in downtown Mesa, Arizona. Funny Bone's going to be there. Uh, I believe Jace Battle is going to be there. Nick Bugatti... We're going to have a lot of guys you're familiar with, phxwrestling.com. You can get tickets May 6th. Front row might already be sold out by the time you get this. We did have a few left over the weekend. Those are going fast, so please pick those up. Don't think you're going to get them the day of the show. Otherwise, follow us on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at JA Vernola. But yeah, phxwrestling. United Wrestling Network Championship Wrestling from Arizona and Hollywood and Arizona Wrestling Federation Unleashed Wrestling. That's uh, I'm here right now, I think. That's a lot of places where, where you can
3: find Joe Fernola, one of the big-time voices in professional wrestling right here on the West Coast. He is the man in the know for us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. We are truly appreciative of your time, Joe. Once again, it's great to talk to you. It's been a while. And, and hopefully we'll be able to talk again real soon about everything going
4: on in the world of professional wrestling, sports entertainment, pro wrestling, whatever you want to call it. Whenever you want to bring me in, I, I'd love to come on.
3: Awesome! Thank you for having. Me. Oh, and indeed, indeed, it's Joe Vernola right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Game Source is your number one source for everything video games. Each week, we bring you the best of the video gaming world from sites. All over the internet. Like us today on Facebook or follow us today at GameSource and you'll stay up with the latest in information and news, plus also about all the great things we're doing on our game source Facebook, Twitter, and GameSource YouTube pages. Stay up to date with the video gaming world right here at GameSource. And we're back for the final segment right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos show. My name is Joe Glass from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening out there. Well, uh, as as I said before, we thought we'd run down uh, the top 25 films that both Josh and I just have come to appreciate over the course of our lives and being the movie fans that we are. I'll tell you what. We're going to give you a uh, part of the list on today's program to to send you home for now. So, and then we're going to share the rest, our top ten films on our Friday show. So, at number twenty five, I'm going to give you this. We're going to start off for me with Heat from Michael Mann. I just thought that was a great uh, look inside of L.A. crime scene, both from a both a standpoint of both the good and the bad, and then taking a look at how it affects their families and and obviously, De Niro and Pacino, you know, they're they're both top-notch in the film. And just the visuals and whatnot, just truly just a great experience for me, indeed. That's my number 25 film, It's Heat. What's your number 25 film, Josh? I have Logan as my
5: number 25 film.
3: Oh, a recent entry. That's, that's great, indeed.
5: You know, I almost wasn't going to use it, but then I... You know, it did kind of change the game for superhero movies, I think, in a way that Deadpool kind of started, but Logan kind of did something different with it. So I think that it's a good uh, standard that is now set for people who want to make movies in that genre. It's unfortunate how it ended because, you know, Fox gets really campy with their X-Men movies. But uh, I thought it was a a nice uh, change of pace for a market that is oversaturated with superhero movies.
3: My number 24 pick is going to be The Road Warrior. Yes, the 1981 film that really just kicked off. Yes, there was Mad Max before, but The Road Warrior really set things in motion as far as from an apocalyptic standpoint, with also uh, Mel Gibson's career really taking off after that. Just the the action, the pace, truly was just an awesome experience to watch indeed. So that's 24 for me, that's the Road Warrior. So, what is your number twenty-four, sir?
5: I have Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl, and I chose this one because I, I before I wasn't really too interested in Disney films. I was, you know, I was kind of whatever about it. I could take it or leave it. But after this one, I kind of, you know, it, it helped me uh, re-experience the magic of Disney that I hadn't felt since I was a kid.
3: My number 23 film, well, uh, I think everybody knows out there that, that you know, a lot of films been, have been influenced by this and also from a, a special effects standpoint definitely has made its mark indeed. But The Matrix, 1999 film that definitely has, has earned its niche within the science fiction genre indeed as far as the, tells the story of Keanu Reeves as, as Neo that looks to try and go ahead and, and help save the human race from computers that have gone rogue in a computer world that have now taken over the universe. And obviously it's a great story indeed, but the visuals just at the time, which were cutting edge still look very good today. So what is your number 22, sir? Uh, 23. What is your number?
5: I thought we were skipping numbers here. Uh, the art of getting by it's a, it's an indie flick. My, the last half of my list has a few indie flicks on there, but it's an indie flick about this, uh, He's the embodiment of our former high school selves, or at least the way that we wish we could have been. This kid just, you know, he does not take his work seriously. And then, you know, obviously there's that turning point, coming of age type moment, but uh, it's a good movie. It's filmed on a low budget and I, you you know, you just got to appreciate that type of filmmaking. If you get a chance, check it out. Me explaining it doesn't really do it much justice, but uh, it's definitely worth checking out.
3: Number 22 for me do 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 it's the good the bad and the ugly and i tell you from an image standpoint it is the king in my opinion of the spaghetti western it, it if somebody wants to understand what the spaghetti western genre is, is all about then just they need to look no further than the good the bad and the ugly what's your number 22 sir
5: uh this one's available on netflix it is called stuck in love uh, it's kind of can't got a uh dramatic title i guess but it's a uh I have a soft spot for it because the movie centers around a family of writers. It's a pretty sad movie about a uh, a dad who's raising his kids on his own, and uh, his he's a writer, so his kids are all becoming writers. And it talks kind of shows how the how the industry works, and uh, you know where inspiration comes from for books. And it's a good movie. Interesting to get a little insight into the uh, mind of the writer on that
3: one. Number twenty one for me is. The final film, I should say, of the legendary Bruce Lee that he was able to complete. Enter the Dragon is his last complete film, and definitely it is, to me, his best film that he's ever been a part of. Just truly magnificent. If someone wants to understand what the legendary Bruce Lee is all about as far as his skill, his charisma, and everything he brought to the table, it's definitely uh, my favorite Bruce Lee film. And I think once you watch Enter the Dragon at number 21, it'll be your favorite uh, Bruce Lee film too. So what is your number 21 sir?
5: Let's see I have a movie called Now Is Good which is also on Netflix. It has Dakota Fanning in it. When I was a kid my parent or my mom and sister tricked me into going to see uh, a Walk to Remember and it was just a horrible movie because they told me we were going to see the Scorpion King and they just they it was a, just a really cruel joke. But uh I remember sitting there watching this I'm like know that is not how people die of cancer it's not really that happy and what they did with this movie was kind of show like you know hey it's kind of a similar story but it shows like the the you know the the gritty the realness of it all and i kind of give them props for that it's hard to watch but it's um you know it definitely pulls on the heartstrings a little bit so that is now as good there's no other you know well-known actors in that besides dakota fanning but it's on netflix if you want to check it out so what's your next one
3: my number 20 is The Lord of the Rings Return of the King. It garnered over, it garnered 11 Academy Awards. And, you know, it is thought of by many to be the best of The Lord of the Rings movies. It's, it's scope, it's nature, it's just so huge in production. Definitely something that, yes, it is, runs a little bit long, but it's definitely quite worth the watch indeed. So what is your number 20, sir?
5: You know, so Deadpool. That's that's my you know that's my next film. It's I just it it was good to kind of change the game a little bit. Did uh successfully what uh, Blade Two tried to do and kind of failed at. And it uh, it you know has a pretty stellar cast. And I um, you know I, I hope uh, Deadpool Two is good, but you know we'll, uh, it, it sounds like it's already having some trouble. So we'll see what happens.
3: Definitely, indeed, uh, Deadpool may some appear somewhere on my list as well, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Number nineteen for me is Star Wars. Just oh my goodness, it's the movie that started it all for pop culture. Never ceases to amaze when it comes on TV, even after all these years. So, what is your number nineteen, sir? I have
5: The Mummy. Like we were mentioning earlier, it was a uh, it was a fun ride. It was, it was scary. It was funny. It was adventure, uh, archaeology type films, and I think The Mummy pulled it off really well. I even liked the second one. It was, it was an enjoyable movie you could sit back and you watch it without thinking and it just you know enjoy it, it was classic uh, popcorn cinema and that is why it deserves a place on my list
3: my number 18 is The Wrestler the movie that revived Mickey Rourke's career a great watch regardless if you are a fan of sports entertainment or pro wrestling it is definitely a great film first and foremost truly a great experience to watch and even like i said even if you are not a fan of pro wrestling the Wrestler is definitely something you should miss. So, what is your number eighteen, sir?
5: I have The Last Samurai. I, I liked it just because of the the cinematics and the art style and the way the script was written. It was handled all handled really well. The history was all there. It was a great it, it was it was a great film for uh, you know and, and Tom Cruise obviously can play a lot of parts really well, but I think this is one of his best performances.
3: For me, number seventeenth, it's Deadpool. Deadpool obviously entertained and surprised me like no other film I've seen in recent times. So definitely I couldn't agree with more as far as being a great film in its own right. What's your number 17, sir? I have
5: the departed. um, It was just, it was basically the Avengers of, you know, big Hollywood names. So it was, it's just interesting to see all those guys interact with each other in a setting. You wouldn't normally see them in. That's why it is on my list.
3: My number 16 is Skyfall, which I believe is far and away the best James Bond movie ever. Is Daniel Craig the best James Bond? That's up for debate. But definitely, to me, Skyfall is just definitely a a great insight into the James Bond character himself. That's my number 16. What is your number 16, sir?
5: I have Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. For me I like this movie just because it is it was kind of a turning point in the Harry Potter franchise. Granted the the prisoner of Azkaban kind of made things dark, but this one was, you know, the first time the, the, the everyone's, you know, becoming teenagers and you're they're experiencing hormones and and all these emotions and it it was super dark and it was the introduction of Voldemort. So that was kind of the the turning point. Everything after that is, you know, it starts to get intense. The action starts to build up. So I think that this is a is a good rise in the Harry Potter franchise.
3: My number fifteen is Gladiator. Definitely a great movie, indeed, with its with you know simplistic tale of revenge and and definitely one of his best films out there my number 15 slot so what is your number 15 sir
5: all right my next movie is home alone can't have a, a top 25 list without to the Macaulay Culkin classic I don't have an in-depth reason I just I felt like it belonged on there
3: number 14 is Raiders of the Lost Ark and how can you have a list without Raiders of the Lost Ark being on there one of Harrison Ford's most well-known pictures and just a great globetrotting adventure. You couldn't have a list from either one of us without Raiders of the Lost Ark being there. For me, it, it is definitely a number 14. What's your number 14, my friend?
5: I have V for Vendetta. You know, it's kind of the the Wachowski's next big run after The Matrix. And I thought it was, you know, it was based on a really great comic book. And it was it was good. It was, you know, I had, had a lot of great acting. Hugo Weaving was really great. Natalie Portman was really great. I can watch it over and over again so I put it on my list.
3: My number 13 film is The Raid Redemption. For me, The Raid Redemption, even as great as Enter the Dragon is, The Raid Redemption is probably the best martial arts film that I've ever seen from a standpoint as far as the, the action, the fighting sequences, the creativeness, you know, it's no wonder why it's become such a darling in the years since it's been out. The suspense builds as they go and and move up each floor is just truly Truly awesome to watch, and that's why *The Raid: Redemption* is just truly one of my favorite films, and definitely definitely qualifies as a number thirteen for me. So, what is your lucky number thirteen, sir?
5: I have *Saving Private Ryan* because this is probably the only movie that has ever brought a tear to my eye. So. I had a stellar cast, great acting, very well written. One of the greatest
3: opening sequences, if not one of the, not the greatest opening sequences from a film standpoint I've ever seen myself.
5: It's something that everybody needs to watch just to kind of be reminded of what, you know, what sacrifices were made, you know, obviously the, you know, the story aside, that's whatever, but like just the, the event itself, you know, it's just, it's a good reminder of the past and Steven Spielberg handled the history really well. and, it uh, made a spot on my list.
3: Number 12 was going to be The Shawshank Redemption. The the tale of, of how it goes as far as a man wrongly accused of murder and sent to prison for many years and being forced to, to partake in, in some horrible schemes until he gains his measure of revenge. And definitely, to me, one of Stephen King's finest works. So what is your number 12, sir?
5: I have Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. This was Guy Ritchie's first movie. Uh, it's the first time we'd seen a crime caper kind of like that where, it, where you even like the villains. You know, it, it kind of paved the way for Snatch and other movies of that, uh, that, that type. And, you know, that this is basically the movie that made his career.
3: So number 11 for me is Guardians of the Galaxy. And with the, the movie coming out, the sequel coming out in May, it's definitely a great time to talk a little bit about Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I did not know what to expect when I sat in that theater, and I was kind of reluctant to actually even go see the film. But it is just truly one of the best Marvel films to ever come out and definitely uh, uh, belongs on my list. And that's my number 11 film indeed. What is your number 11?
5: I have uh, Star Wars Return of the Jedi. This was, you know, it's, it's a lot of people say The Empire Strikes Back was the best one. I disagree. I think that Return of the Jedi really, like, if you were on the fence about being a Star Wars fan, still, like, Return of the Jedi hammered it home. Like, that was the, that, that's the conversion factor right there. And that, for me, that is what, uh, well, I did like the first two a lot. The Return of the Jedi is the one that kind of Uh, Stuck out the most in my mind, and it was the most emotional, and it was uh, is really what made me into a Star Wars fan.
3: Well, there you go, indeed, and that's our choices for our top twenty five films from number twenty five to eleven. We will be announcing our top ten films on our Friday show, the PCC Multiverse, coming up this Friday on the Podcast Radio Network, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and then again, you will be able to stream it free with an extra bonus added onto it on nine other awesome audio outlets. Well, it's been another great show indeed. I want to thank Echo Box for joining us. Also as well, my good friend Joe Vernola of PHX Wrestling. If you have any thoughts out there, please let us know. You know Anything that we've talked about or what you would like us to talk about on the show. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Popculturecosmo on Twitter. Humanican Media on Twitter or send us a message on Facebook at Pop Culture Cosmos and Humanican Media. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day.
6: This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at
2: ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com.
4: Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness pop culture cosmos family and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way thanks again for listening to us here at the pop culture cosmos
7: okay hello everyone uh welcome to one woman words i'm michelle and with me of course is diana hello hello so I do have to do a little tiny disclaimer that if I launch, I was just telling Diana, if I launch into a sneezing fit halfway through or several points during the show, I apologize. Um, Apparently, Chicago um, sucks for weather. Um, It's been like super gray, but the rain stopped and then it started again and all the progress I've made on my allergies – just completely reversed itself today. Mm-hmm.
6: So I'm, well, it is known for being the windy city.
7: My you aunt- know fun fact, I didn't have a chance to research that, but um my mom said that someone told her that the Windy City isn't based isn't because of the weather. It's because back in like I don't know what year, it was because all of the politicians were in Chicago. And it uh-huh. was all about—they're all blustery and full of hot air. So it became known as the Windy City because of that. Huh. I have to double oh, check me. that, but I thought that was interesting.
6: That is really interesting. I've been all about the um, "more you know" stuff because I've been sending Ryan um, one French vocabulary word of the day, and after I sending the vocabulary word, I send a gift <laughs> of, um, or a GIF of uh, the shooting star and the more you know. <laughs> so I've been having fun with that.
7: My mom just came in. She goes, I told you I didn't know if that was true. I know I have to fact check it.
6: Good night. Yeah, Mom, and we already put that disclaimer in <laughs> that we have to fact check it.
7: We'll, we'll Snopes it. Snopes, right? That's what it's called. Yes, yeah,
6: Snopes. Snopes. is from, uh, from uh, Star Wars. Oh.
7: That sounded right. <laughs> anyway. Um... We have moved on to new books this month. Um, try something a little bit different this time. I am reading Z by Therese Ann Fowler. And Diana is reading...
6: Guests on Earth by Lee Smith. Yes, so on you know, Earth. Hear, yeah.
7: Um, so they are both historical fiction books about Zelda Fitzgerald. Um
6: Yes, on Earth. More about is about Zelda. It's the biographical historical fiction of her. And mine has, I guess, Zelda as a player within this girl's story. Yeah, she's kind of
7: like a, like a, a supporting character. Mm. But I think it's kind of interesting to see Zelda played, like, seen from a different character's point of view.
6: Oh, absolutely! Especially since I love all things uh, Zelda and Fitzgerald, so I yeah. really love this. I think I've read the first chapter. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I just got to the point where she just technically meets Zelda for the first time.
7: Mm-hmm. I love. I, I read it um, a while ago. Actually, it was before we moved, so I think it was in October, maybe September that I read it. But um, I love all the characters in it. And that book, so I haven't started Z yet. I I will probably start it this weekend, but Z is like her entire life, right
6: Yeah, pretty much it starts off with her as a teenager. and then it goes through until um, she and Scott pretty much separated I think is where it is where it ends. Um, um, yeah, i know. sorry, spoiler. Um, but that one, I listened to that one on audio and I just, I got so involved in that story cause I'll listen to audio books on my commute home since I have such a long commute. And it was just, it was one of those stories where I would pause my phone, come in the house and while I was making dinner, I would continue to listen to the story. I got so into it. Um, and just the way it was narrated and everything was, it was wonderful. Um, I'm on the first chapter of Guests on Earth, and I really quite like it. It's already a bit of a gut wrench.
7: um what Yeah, her story goes so sad. Yeah. So, but we are having both authors on at the end of the month, so we're just kind of and have kind of like a round table about Zelda and their books. So
6: it's going to be a Zelda Fitzgerald Friday. <laughs> and I'm so excited because that means there's going to be a hell of a lot of alcohol and a hell of a lot of talking about Zelda. And it's going to be so much fun. Um, Cause I mean, really Zelda, I feel would be disappointed if we did not have alcohol in hand while we were discussing her and her life.
7: I wonder if we should like do a theme evening and dress up.
6: I don't know about dressing up. But I would. Well, maybe sure. not dress up, but like maybe like one of the, the 20s
7: yeah. bands. Yeah, yeah, and I uh,
6: definitely. I might put makeup
7: on. Or
6: make sure to do a theme uh, cocktail. I probably we might do champagne. I think Zelda was quite fond of champagne. In the book, if I remember correctly. I feel like champagne
7: and gin, and I don't like gin, so champagne
6: <laughs> is, is a good choice. Yeah, well, some right, or a 1920s cocktail that would be fun too.
7: That could be like our month long project. We can right. sample them out for the
6: next week next month and then oh, do
7: our favorite.
6: Next week I'm gonna have a cocktail. And I'm I'm sure they had some wine and champagne cocktails. And given the fact that she was part of the last generation, she spent a good chunk of time in France. And so there's bound to be some some great wines. French wines, I would think, would be would be part of this too. That's like
7: a new research project for us
6: it is and i am fully behind it i support this 100 percent. so speaking of alcohol what are you drinking tonight i'm drinking it's one that my mom picked out it's
7: mark west it's a pinot noir um it's really it's pretty good i've never i've never seen it and i've never had it before but i like it
6: um, i'm finding i'm not a big fan of pinot noirs I don't haven't really really, drink Pino Noirs that often. Yeah. But, I, I don't like sweet wines and I don't know, there's just something that's maybe I'm just not picking the right ones. I like them to have a little bit more flavor and a little less sweet.
7: You, you know the thing on like the back of the door, like the door jam thing that if you pull it and it like bounces and it goes brrrr. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure I just heard it upstairs. That's why <laughs> Sorry, well, girl.
6: Okay. Well, my turn for my alcohol. Um, tonight, I'm drinking one of our favorites, Dark Horse. I
7: really like that wine.
6: I do, too. Right. Have you Have you had the Sauvignon Blanc?
7: I have. I have had the Sauvignon Blanc and the Cabernet. Okay. Um, I've
6: only had their white so far, and I really like this. It's so citrusy.
7: I really like their white. I I think I have to get that again. I've been trying to, like... Try something new each time I go mm-hmm. food shopping, and this week I I resisted. But so I'm glad my mom picked something up. Otherwise, I would have had to drink water with oh, wine, women, and words, and that just doesn't that's sound just not
6: right. That's that's no. that's heresy, Michelle. That is heresy, and we do not do that here. <laughs> tea is acceptable. You can drink tea. You can drink tea and pretend it's whiskey, or you can drink whiskey and pretend it's tea, and you can drink that's wine. Those are the acceptable up- alcohol. <laughs> Are acceptable drinks for wine women awards?
7: Well, fortunately, Mom saved the day, and I didn't yeah. have to resort to any trickery in wine glasses.
6: Mm. Yeah, so I'm thinking I might I have to clear out. I've got like a bo- like three different bottles open because it's like um, what mood am, what food am I in, in the mood for? What wine am I in the mood for? It's like, hmm, today I'm gonna go with Il Bistardo Cabernet. And then it's like I still have a little bit left, so I'm like, oh, I need to actually finish these up so I can go stock up at Total Wine and More for more wine. I found this winery. I think it's Kansas makes sense,
7: but I forget where. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Oz Winery. And I found them online, and it's all Wizard of Oz themed wine don't
6: bottles. Think of Kansas, because Kansas is weird. They don't unless they've changed their laws. They don't. Allow for the sale of their alcohol to be outside of the state.
7: Then I have to figure out where they were because I mean, their I mean, label. I think we might need it. Their labels are adorable. I, I I don't even care if the wine sucks because they
6: have. We went there. They have this uh, beer called Flying Monkey that my husband really loves, and that all of our friends. I live in Texas, love it, and I kid you not, one weekend or well, actually one day he and his friends did a beer run from Dallas, Texas to this brewery in Kansas just so that they, they could get that line. Or, I'm sorry, that beer. It was like a 600-mile beer run.
7: That's, holy cow, they have a $5,000 bottle of wine.
6: Yeah, sure, I'll get that next paycheck. Um,
7: I don't know about that. But it they are they are in Kansas. It's the Oz Winery in downtown Wamego, Kansas. Wemigo. Wemigo.
6: I wonder if they can ship out of state because I would totally get some.
7: Because their wine labels are just so cute. Like
6: and really, that's I, how we judge a lot of our wine label Wines is by the label and by like
7: and by the price tag.
6: Yeah, that too. Those are the two factors. I love that video that we showed on Facebook where people were tasting uh, cheap wines versus expensive wines and trying to tell the difference. And it was all the cheap wines were the ones that people were loving. They're like, "No, this is the expensive wine."
7: And it was all the um, the wine snobs that were getting it wrong, and mm-hmm. the two buck chuck fans that were like getting it all right. I feel like I feel like that would be us.
6: I feel like I've outgrown two buck chuck.
7: I don't actually know if I've ever had two buck chuck to be honest.
6: Have you gotten the two dollar wines from um, the Charles Shaw wine from Trader Joe's?
7: No, I mm-hmm. don't really go
6: to Trader Joe's. Ah, see, that's where two buck chuck <laughs> <laughs> from. Trader Joe's, and then previously it was two dollars. However, it is now up to two fifty. but because you know the price of grapes and inflation and whatnot, and it's an okay wine. I-, I do, and it's you know a decent wine, but it just, I don't know. There, it doesn't quite have the, the flavor that I like anymore or in general. So, and it, there's so many wines that you can get on sale that are like $5 or sometimes I can, I'll walk into Trader Joe's and there's some for like $3 and I'm like, Ooh, must put this in the cart. doesn't matter if it's midday and I'm just coming in here to pick up some lunch. Uh, throw that in the cart and uh, save it for later. No judgment. Yeah. Well, it like I'm selling drinking it at work, even though sometimes I feel like I must. Well,
7: um, so tonight, now that we've talked about wine for like 20 minutes, um, we are finally, this is a long overdue conversation between Diana and I, because last Sunday,
6: I finally saw Beauty and the Beast. Yes. (laughs) And I dragged my husband, he happened to have the the day off, and... I dragged him out uh, to go see Beauty and the Beast the day it opened. Um, actually, no, I didn't see it. We didn't see it the day it opened. We saw it two days later on a Sunday. I
7: have to sneeze. It's coming. Ugh.
6: Big white elephants. Think big white elephants. So. See, there you go. You didn't sneeze. No, it left. That's uh, why. You got to see big white elephants and then it leaves. So
7: Basically. Tonight, we're just going to nerd out and talk about Beating the Beast, and um, we're also going to talk about um, fairy tale origins, because I don't know, I'm, I'm sure many people know, but the origins of some of our most beloved fairy tales in Disney movies are actually pretty dark and twisted and awful, and they do not have the happily ever after endings that Disney shows them as having. So yeah, I talked we
6: got about the subject today because um, I discovered I never actually really looked into the original Pinocchio story. And, and- I don't know that one. So you're going to have to tell me because I didn't even know
7: that there was an original Pinocchio story. we start story. off
6: with that before we get into Beauty and the Beast?
7: Yeah, because I'm, I'm really curious about that.
6: <laughs> okay, so backstory. I'm doing some research on a book and um, I messaged my dad who is um pretty much a scholar when it comes to Italian literature and history and I asked him what books would be considered classic Italian literature and one of the books on the list was Pinocchio. And I was like, oh this is interesting. And I mentioned it to my husband and he was like, yeah, you know it is kind of dark. So, you know, be careful. And I was like, okay, all fairy tales. So then I went and looked it up today and I read an article on Slate about it before I actually started reading the story. And they're like, it's a really messed up story. So basically, it was written by this dude who hated children. Um, no lie, the guy did not like children. Um, um, it's Carlo... I'm trying to get back to my my screen here on my Kindle. Um, and my dog is freaking out. Okay, Carlo Collidi was the guy who wrote it. And it's basically... So the story is similar to how we know in Disney. This guy by the name of Geppetto um, decides he doesn't have any children. He needs kind of you know a bit of a vagabond, at least in the fairy tale. He gets a piece of wood and he decides to carve a puppet out of it. The wood is already magical. It's already been messing around with another woodworker, and he take and he buys it from the woodworker. And so he creates this puppet out of the um, out of the wood. And as soon as he finish uh, finishes a uh, Carving the feet, the puppet kicks him in the nose, and then and then he runs off, and he's just horrible. He like steals the guy's poor the poor guy's wig, and he's just really horrible to him. And then after Geppetto's gone, he comes back to get his stuff so that he could run away, and he's talking to this unnamed talking cricket, who introduces himself as the talking cricket of the house, and as the cricket is trying to teach him a lesson about being kinder to Geppetto. And he's like, you know, dude, you were really kind of mean. I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. And, you know, you shouldn't really behave that way. Pinocchio loses his temper, grabs a hammer and bashes the cricket's head in. This is a children's story. This, even though this guy did not like children, this was a children's story written as a series of, um, short stories, uh, the adventures of Pinocchio in this magazine for kids. And this is only in the beginning part. As the story progresses, things worse and worse happen. Um, you know, they were talking about in the Slate article where he is continue—he's dipped in flour multiple times and then turned into a donkey with a – or made to look like a donkey with a dress on and made to do really weird uh, girlish dances on stage for people. Um he is beaten. He's abused. He does horrible things. And then finally, in the end, instead of him becoming a real boy, he gets um, a rabbit ties a noose around his neck. He gets drawn and gets drawn and quartered. And then he lives happily ever after. <laughs> wow. Yeah. After that ended, like the kids were like, "What happened to Pinocchio? We want more Pinocchio." And the editor had to go back make uh, Carlo go back and write more about it um, just because and resurrect him and give him an ending. Um, Cause the kids weren't satisfied. So yeah, that's also, the story behind it. Yeah. It's an awful, like really dark story. And I didn't realize how dark it was. And in the Slate article, Walt Disney actually almost uh, stopped production of Pinocchio altogether. Because when they were trying to figure out how to tell this story for the cartoon they couldn't figure out a way to do it without it being so very dark. And he got frustrated and stopped it and they had to basically rewrite the whole story.
7: I didn't like Pinocchio to begin with when I was like I don't I don't even know if I watched the whole movie when I was a kid, but the stupid island with the the donkeys, I did not like that.
6: You know, I think out of all the Disney cartoons, he's one of my least favorites when it comes to the feature cartoons. Like, I, I like The Rescuers, I think, more than I like Pinocchio.
7: Wow, The Rescuers. I haven't thought about those. I don't I, think I like
6: that one either. They weren't bad.
7: No, they weren't bad, but... but they mean, weren't great. It was in
6: that really lull of... Di- when Disney wasn't turning out very good movies.
7: Well, so there are... Uh, so one story that I... have Knew about, but when we decided that we were going to do twisted fairy tale origins,
6: was Sleeping Beauty. Um, Hold on, I found my my book. When we're talking about twisted fairy tale origins and whatnot, one must have Grimm's grimmest. Uh-huh. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, it's got all the original uh, fairy tales, all like Grimm and stuff. Like,
7: really oh, dark. Awful and twisted and dark and miserable. Mm-hmm.
6: Yes, love every bit about it. Because it's got the original um, Cinderella in here, too. I was just... I was reading
7: about Cinderella earlier because I didn't know the origin, or I think I don't think I knew the origin of Cinderella. Um, I knew... Oh, no, I did know Cinderella. I knew them all. Or Cinderella. So, really quick, if in case you guys didn't know, Cinderella was where the sisters, the stepsisters were so desperate to fit. One of the sisters was so desperate to fit into the shoe that she cut off her toes,
0: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
7: And then birds like pecked out their eyes, the stepmother and stepsisters' eyes, when they left the house at the end, right? mm mm-hmm. you
6: know, the karma.
7: Didn't, didn't someone cut off their nose, too, or was it just the toes?
6: I think it was just the toes or, like, the heels. And in the actual live-action movie, they actually have one of one of the uh, characters, one of the stepsisters actually cuts her heel so that she could fit into it. And he's like, what's all this blood? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about.
7: I've never been that desperate to fit into a pair of shoes.
6: No, and I've I've got some big feet, so you know I've tried to scrunch those toes up into it. I'm just saying, I would never Uh, cut them off.
7: No. So the origin of Sleeping Beauty is really just sick and disturbing. So Sleeping Beauty, she doesn't fall; she isn't cursed by pricking her finger on the spindle. Um, She goes to sleep because of a prophecy. And she doesn't wake up from True Love's kiss. She um, She's asleep for 100 years. And then a king finds her and sees her sleeping. And natural train of thought thinks, hey, she's really pretty. I think I'm going to sleep with her. And so,
6: by kids, we mean fornicate. Yeah. Um, so they have sex.
7: <laughs> Which... Um, he rapes her because she's asleep and doesn't know what's going on. And then she gets pregnant and stays asleep through the whole thing. Gives birth to twins while she's asleep. And Could then. She
6: sleep through that. Seriously.
7: Which I wouldn't have minded sleeping through that. <laughs> um, and then one of the babies like sucks on her finger and dislodges like a splinter or, what something that was keeping her asleep, and that's how she woke up. So, this girl went to sleep, a uh, virgin, and, and without children, and woke up and found out that she had been raped and is now the mother of two. And that translates into Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether fighting over what color Aurora's dress will be as she dances off into the horizon with uh, Prince Philip. It's Prince Philip, right?
6: Yeah. So she actually ends up marrying – is it the king that knocks her up that she ends up marrying? Was it Philip who knocks her up, or was it somebody else?
7: They don't actually say what the name of the king is. I think they do get married, Mm. but um, not because of true love, because of, hey, you're the father of my kids that I, I apparently have.
6: Because shotgun weddings even existed back then. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping that it was Philip because, you know, a man's got to take responsibility for his actions. I'm just saying. Um, my other one that I have that is um, another one that Disney whitewashed and made really pretty nicer than what it actually was in the end was The Little Mermaid. Now, have you heard the original Little Mermaid story? Um, I've heard. I mean, I know.
7: I'm pretty sure I have. I don't want to
6: ruin it. You go. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the story is pretty much the exact same thing that you see in the Disney cartoon. You got this princess. She falls in love with this prince, but he's a land dweller, and she's always been obsessed with the land, and she wants to be human. So she makes a deal with a sea witch, goes up above, and loses her voice for it. Now, this is where things differ. What happens is she loses her voice, and he looks upon her like a friend. She's his little court jester. She, he's, he's fond of her, but he's not actually in love with her. And, of course, you know what? He doesn't know that she's a princess, so, you know what? She can't marry her. Hmm. So she can't make him fall in love with her. And then this other girl comes along, who is actually a princess that he knows is a princess, that he actually ends up falling in love with her with and uh ariel she's not given three days she's giving a longer time but at the when all is said and done she has to make him love her before sun up on a certain day and it's approaching and he isn't in love with her and he goes and actually marries this other woman and because her her sisters are all upset they don't want her to die obviously so they give her a knife they made a deal with the sea witch themselves and they got a knife and they give her the knife and they tell her, if you kill him, you can come, you can get your fins back and you can come back with us. So she goes into the bedroom and she goes, she has, she contemplates whether she's going to kill him. And then instead, instead of killing him, she turns around and she kills herself. And then to smooth things over instead of her actually going back into the becoming foam in the sea, because apparently that's what happens when mermaids uh, die, according to Hans Christian Anderson. Um, she becomes a fairy and spends the rest of her time, hundred years or so becoming a virtuous fairy. So that is the true story behind the little mermaid. I didn't know. I knew. I knew no, no.
7: The version that I heard was that, she jumped off a cliff because her because the prince married someone else and she couldn't get her fins back so she just jumped off a cliff and drowned because she, but so I've never heard about the dagger part that's interesting
6: yeah that's the one from his actual uh, fairy tale the one oh, that okay. the one that he wrote his original one but apparently um, you know even in some of the retellings people want to make it so that kids aren't so traumatized yeah because suicide is
7: what suicide by knife i guess is less traumatizing or more traumatizing than suicide by drowning
6: yeah you're so, yeah i mean suicide by jumping off a cliff yeah, and kids aren't likely to come across a cliff as much as they are to come across a uh, a knife i guess <laughs> um, i was just reading so i found this
7: article it was the a list of 10 um, 10 fairy tales, like the origins of fairy tales. And it has Sleeping Beauty, the version that I just told you. And I was re- reading over the comments, and this one woman posted from like three years ago, so I don't, I don't know how accurate this person is, but she has a different version of Sleeping Beauty. She says... The original, the princess, is walking through the village when the carpenter sees her. He decides he wants her, so he drugs her, kidnaps her, and keeps her in his workshed where his wife won't find her. He keeps her sedated and rapes her repeatedly, and after nine months, she gives birth to twins. The suckling of the twins is what allows her to wake up, the drugs being metabolized faster or simply drained from her, and she develops Stockholm syndrome, and she and the carpenter fall in love. So, naturally, they take his axe and chop up his wife and then live happily ever after in their cabin. And this is her wor- This is her words. With their rape babies. <laughs> so, that's a new version.
6: I don't know where that one comes from.
7: I've never. I had heard the, the king and all of that. That version I'd heard before. That is a new version that I have never heard of.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I have never heard that version before. But it's interesting that so many of these fairy tales are so dark and twisted in the original versions. And we have this thing where we feel like we need to protect children from them. And yet again, we complain about some of our television as being too dark and too violent for kids. Go figure.
7: Well, I just, I wouldn't mind reading um, the Grimm's fairy tales. I've never read them before, so I don't, I don't really know what they're like, but why did they even want to go around collecting these stories? Because they are not like, Oh kids, let's, let's sit around and, and tell this story. It's awesome because they're all terrible. Well, they're not um, most happily ever after.
6: This is back in a time when we, you know, these were the lessons. How do you t- teach a child a lesson It's through stories. Um, you know, what are the lessons that we can learn through these stories with Pinocchio? If you're going to be a little cr- shithead head of a son, and crappy things are going to end up happening to you if you're not nice. Yeah, you know, he serves as, as an example for what happens to bad children. Um, Grimm's fairy tales, like you figure Hansel and Gretel, um, Little Red Riding Hood, all of those that are really dark and and scary and grim, um, they serve as warnings for kids.
7: I guess they're just. Awful. So you gotta
6: warn the kids about the bad guys somehow. might as well do it with a fairy tale so that they learn. I mean yeah. you learn stranger danger from Little Red Riding Hood.
7: And then, on the flip side, there is a documentary that Diane and I were talking about earlier tonight. Um, it's on I mean, I watched it a few months ago. Um Did you watch it recently?
6: No, it was a few months ago as well. Um, it would, I would think it would still be on Netflix.
7: So it was on Netflix, and it was called The Real Beauty and the Beast. Um, and it was basically the argument that Beauty and the Beast is based on real people. And obviously it wasn't um, a prince who got cursed by an enchantress and given an enchanted rose and all of that, it was about a French um, a couple, aristocrats, and the...
6: Well, the um, first start, let me just cut in. Um, the Real Beauty and the Beast was actually a Smithsonian Channel adaptation. They, it was a documentary that they did. So if it's not on Netflix, you can find it on the Smithsonian Channel. And it wasn't just that they were aristocrats, Um the king at the time, the French king liked to have his own little courts of, court of freaks and of animals and things. And you know, those people that are covered in all hair, I forget what the condition is called, where they're just, it's like wolfman kind of you syndrome, like they're covered completely in fur. Um, the king was able to get a hold of one of these people. And they became, he was supposed to be one of his little freaks that was supposed to be in his. His Kate in his in his zoo, and I guess the guy endeared himself and he was very smart and the king liked him, so they he actually him up to the status of being a gentleman. and I guess he had some sort of minor um, minor title.
7: It's called hypertricosis.
6: yes. And so this woman was who was also of uh, the aristocracy was um, was had to marry him. That was arranged for her to marry him and it was I guess she didn't care for him at first. She had a theoretically she had to grow to love him and see the man behind the beast.
7: It was a really interesting um documentary. I remember watching it and so there's so the real beast. If, if this documentary is correct, um, the real beast's name was Petrus Gonzalvis, and that was the man that um, had the hypertrichosis, and so and that all took place in the 1500s. And it's a super interesting documentary. I mean, they have. Um, they have historical records backing, you know, his existence, his marriage, and I think they even had kids. They had, um, yeah, they had um, they had a daughter and, and sons, and I think his, all of them had it too. I I don't think all of them had. I think the daughter. I don't. I don't think the daughter had it. They had multiple ones. Where I think one, they yeah. had one girl among, and a couple boys. Yeah, I think all the boys had it, but I don't think the girl had it. But anyway, it's really interesting. If you love Beauty and the Beast, you should definitely check out that documentary because the simple fact that Beauty and the Beast may have been real people. Oh my god!
6: Well, that combined with um, I think the author who who wrote Beauty and the Beast, she was of upper class um, in France. So she had that story, you know, at that time, which was fairly commonplace. And then um, the countryside in France, you know, Strasbourg, I'll say, I'm going to be this fall. Um, That's, you know, that was the setting for the town, the inspiration for the town, at least for even for the cartoon. My sister sent me a picture last week and she was like, by the way, I'm in all says, and doesn't this look like the fountain from Beauty and the Beast in the cartoon? And it's where she's like where the sheep eats the book. And I'm like, oh, yes, yes, it does. We are going to be there, and I'm going to be taken in front of it with a book and hopefully a lamb or a sheep or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to live all of all of my um, almost all of my French fantasies. I say almost because I'm a he- I love the movie Paris at Midnight. So I am planning on sitting on those stairs and I'm going to wait for Ernest Hemingway to come by with his car. Um, so I think we'll visit the Fitzgerald's in the 1920s.
7: I'm still trying to figure out how I can crash this vacation with you.
6: I think there, where there is a will, there is a way. I think I might be, I did have a friend, a good friend, Amanda. I've got pictures of it too. Um, right after Ryan and I got married um, we were joking around because she wanted to go on our, our vacation with us. She's like, how can you guys leave me here? Because there's always the three of us palling around. And so she's like, wait, I do yoga. I can fit into your suitcase. And we actually fit her into our suitcase. We've got pictures of her with her head sticking out. I think oh you, know you can do this, Michelle. I think you might be able to. With enough wine, you can do anything.
7: <laughs> yeah, With enough wine, just you know, get, stick some earbuds in my, in my ears and put some audio books and I'll be good
6: hmm hmm
7: But, now, on to Beauty and the Beast, because, holy cow.
6: Yes, here I am, Fangirl. Okay, I have, let me get my one nerd rage thing out of the way before we talk about how great the movie was. Okay. My only nerd rage thing is that um, her skirts were too short.
7: Okay. I was thinking about that the whole time, because... Thank you. At the... Um, at the very beginning, yes, her the ball gown, the yellow, the gold, it was too short. It didn't
6: trail. And- it was too short. Even her, her day-to-day thing, this was roughly, what, 1700s France, 1600s France? At that time, up until, like, really the 1900s, late 1900s, early 20th century, or no, I'm sorry, early 20th century, late 19th century, it was improper for a woman to show her ankle if you showed your ankle you were a harlot and they were making beauty a harlot through this whole thing and i'm slamming my fist down because beauty was not a harlot
7: <laughs> so i was thinking about that because at the beginning oh, if, if you've seen the movie you saw that she kind of had like she had um what are she they had called underneath. like what are they called bloomers bloomers yes thank you so she wore bloomers under her dress and she had, like, one, set, one side of her dress, like, tucked up so that you could see the bloomers. She's showing off her freaking underwear. So, and, and Rich was, which, Rich came to see the movie with me. And he goes, "Uh, what, wardrobe malfunction. And I'm thinking about it. And this is my take on it. This is what I think. So, she was super ahead of her time, right? She, they made her an inventor. And, obviously, like, she's Belle, so she reads. Which is also like frowned upon at that time. Um, I think that was like her nod to breaking against tradition and wanting to wear pants and wanting that freedom that pants comes with and not being like saddled with a full dress and skirt, but not being quite ready to break with tradition and not wear a dress at all. That's what I think they were doing.
6: This is the face of an unhappy historian. <laughs> That's, I was seriously
7: thinking that the whole time during that movie, whenever she was in that outfit. And I totally thought you would be so excited to hear my analysis of that outfit. It is
6: a good analysis. It is a really good analysis. And I really do enjoy it because I think it, it, it's, it makes sense for it. But I'm still not happy about the fact that she showed off her underwear throughout most of the movie. <laughs> and she showed ankle Belle is not a freaking harlot people I just no I, I, I'm i that's a big thing and no oh, costuming screwed up on that part <laughs> but I loved her dresses I just I loved her I love the whole freaking movie
7: absolutely
6: I love I LaFou in that movie Josh Gad I, I love Lafou. Josh Gad is so good what roles has he done that he's actually been crapping? Because he is wonderful. The only thing that, that happened
7: was when he started singing um, the Gaston song, I, I was watching Lafo and I was hearing Olaf <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that a lot of like,
6: fans were doing. Were, we're thinking the same
7: thing. I mean, even Katie, she went to go see the movie before I did, and she texted me. Afterwards, and she said the same thing. She goes, "I was watching, I was hearing, I was seeing Lefou, but I was hearing Olaf, and it was throwing me off the
6: whole time. See, I've not gotten into Frozen as much as I as I wanted to, um, though I really did like the movie. So I'm not Olaf. Doesn't he didn't strike out for me as being um, Olaf, but yeah, he just he portrayed Lefou so well." He nailed it.
7: I love. I mean, Lefou was never a character that I really liked in the.
6: Lefou in the was annoying one. before in the movie. He was that. Okay, so here's the deal. For those of you who've watched the cartoon, we're going to address the controversy of Lefou being gay here a little bit.
7: So, which they did so. Okay, they did so subtly up until the very end, like three seconds, and even
6: still, that is subtle. Yeah. That's the only time that gives away that he's gay is in the, in the very last three seconds. Okay. So let me break it down like this. We all know that one guy or girl who is so obsessed with their friendship with another person that you don't know if they're going to randomly just start humping them. <laughs> I kid you not. There's a, we've got a good friend of ours who has this guy friend who, He's slightly obsessive over our friend. Um, This guy, we shall call him. um, Trying to think of a name. We'll call him Bob because that's not his name. And I don't want to, you know, be really mean and rude. But Bob kept going over to our friend. Well, there was like five of us. Every time he would talk to him, he would put himself in the middle of everybody. So he was his back. He was his back to everybody else so that our friend could only see him. And we're spending the day together at Disneyland, all of us. And I swear to God, and multiple times I thought he was going to randomly hump him because he was so obsessed. And he was like, hey, hey, you got to know this. you got to know this. And oh, my God, this, and this, this, me, 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 look at me, look at me, love me, look at me, love me. That was him. He was like LeFou. And LeFou, that was that kind of guy. So you never knew if one minute he was obsessed with this dude where he wanted to hump him and make weird babies with him or if it was just, you know, just kind of friendly jealousy kind of rivalry going on. And that is the character of LeFou. When you look at the cartoon, that is him. And Josh Gad just elaborated on it and gave him more depth. And LeFou is the gay best friend that I absolutely wish I had. Oh my, he's so, and he's
7: not even like, like in the animated movie, LeFou just blindly follows Gaston. Mm-hmm. And in in this movie, LeFou, like he has a moral compass. Like he knows, like from the very beginning, he's like, okay, Belle is not into you. She is not going to marry you. Don't you think you should move on? And he's just, I just love him. He was probably my favorite character in the whole movie. Did you freeze? I feel like you froze.
6: Uh, you, there we go. Okay, and that's so great that he was able to be become your favorite character in the whole movie, um, because he was really just a supporting character in the cartoon. But such so life. Can we
7: just pause and talk? Be super superficial for a second and talk about how hot Gaston was? Because I would have at least considered it. You know what? I have.
6: To because of the way I love this actor and I need to look him up real fast because he's been in other stuff. Luke and Evans, right? Is his name? Huh? What is uh, his? Luke Evans. Is his name? I think so. Let me look it up. I actually had IMDb on earlier because I was curious about something. Um, so I have it right here. Hand, really handy. Um, Cause I've seen him in other movies and television shows. And, yeah, I, you know, I love my bad guys, too. I've got this weird thing where I do not find an actor handsome unless he's played a bad guy at least once. Um, Yeah, so his name is Luke Evans. Um, He has been in Dracula, The Fast and the Furious. Um, He was in The Hobbit. He was in The Girl on the Train. Oh, yeah, he was in The Hobbit, too. Oh, he was. He was
7: the husband in The Girl on the Train.
6: Yeah. That's where I've seen him. Um, um. Yeah. So he was in a couple of Fast and the Furious movies, as you mentioned, The Hobbit. Um. Yeah, he is just one good-looking son of a bitch.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: Oh, so, yeah. I. I think he. He. And he looked a lot like Aston in the cartoon, but he was actually handsome. Like, okay, I could totally, I could see her going and all the girls fawning over him.
7: Yeah, because the cartoon, yes, on someone, um. Katie to- told me that she was reading a-, a thing on Facebook and a lot of girls were complaining that he wasn't big enough for Gaston. Like, mm-hmm. he wasn't brawny enough. Mm-hmm. Like, Were you watching the movie? Because he was perfect.
6: Right? I mean, you don't want a guy whose muscles are completely swallowing him. Um, but, yeah, he, he looked complete- so much like Gaston so well.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: And I love how they um they broke down at the beginning because that's like a whole uh, was a huge thing for me in, in the cartoon. So there's this castle and there's a a king and a queen and a prince and no one knows about them. Yeah. Like no one knows that they're out there. No one knows that the castle exists and all of a sudden there's this beast that no one has ever heard of. So at least in the beginning, you know, they they mention it. They say, like, oh, all the memories are erased. And Mm -hmm. the path to get to the castle is hidden by a magic tree, apparently.
0: Mm -hmm.
7: And Kevin Kline as Belle's dad is just adorable. I want the music
6: box that he makes in the beginning.
7: Did you see? So I was reading an article before the movie ever came out about, like, Easter eggs hidden in Beauty
6: and the Beast. Yes, and they were talking about the memory with the baker.
7: There was, okay, there's that one, but the music boxes, one of them was an Easter egg for Aladdin. Um, the one that she's holding, it has the elephant and, like, the Palace of Agrabah on it. And actually, apparently, they are making a live-action Aladdin.
6: Yes, I'm so looking forward to that. I was wondering how they were going to do it. I mean, it's going to be so weird for it to happen without Robin Williams, because, I mean, you can't have the genie without Robin Williams. Oh, no. um, And but, they're
7: making a movie about the genie. The genie is
6: getting his own prequel. Robin Williams left us too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be – I'm so excited over this, because I love Aladdin. I love – Almost all of the Disney cartoons. I really do. I love I'm a Disney girl. I grew up being a Disney girl and I love all these live action versions. I think it's it started with Alice in Wonderland. Um mm-hmm. or yeah, it was Alice in Wonderland. Through the looking glass came later. And it was so popular that they just started doing them all and they're all so wonderful. I really like them all.
7: But I think Beauty and the Beast has been the best so far.
6: Have you seen the jungle book?
7: I like the jungle book. I I was never really a huge fan of the Disney, the cartoon to begin with.
6: Mm-hmm.
7: Um but I think they did a really good job with mm-hmm. um the um the live action, the for how all the animals like oh, the characters it. basically.
6: It's just but as the tiger oh, he was perfect.
7: I got so sad when the wolf died.
6: Oh, I know. I <laughs> know. It was such a um, so well done, but yeah, they, they're doing such wonderful jobs with these live action movies. And I'm like, keep them coming; they're so great. Keep them coming, and give, keep giving me the cartoons. And the library in <laughs> when we walked
7: out, my I think one of my first texts to to Katie was, "Can I just point out that Belle started falling in love with the Beast once she
6: figured out that he likes to read." Yep. There was that wonderful quote um, oh, uh, oh, about dating. I have to find it. Um, books are sexy. If a guy doesn't own a book, don't screw him.
7: <laughs> oh, I know which quote you're talking about.
6: Yeah, yeah, I love that quote. I'm like, yeah, it says everything. Um, yeah, I love that. Oh, yeah, and the fact that it was like in the, in the movie, she was teach- in the cartoon, she was teaching him how to read. But in the movie, he was already a bookworm himself. And he made fun of her for liking Romeo and Juliet. Which I totally, that totally endeared me to him because I don't like Romeo and Juliet either. And I was like, oh, he's
4: my heart." (laughs) The only
6: thing,
7: I don't even think it would count as a complaint. But I feel like there were certain scenes that were kind of watered down a little bit. Like, like when she so she breaks in the West wing and, you know, in the cartoon, like he, his temper is pretty bad. Like he loses it. And I feel like he didn't lose it as much as he
6: I could have. I they wanted to address some of the feminist issues with the cartoon in, in the movie. Cause I mean, you also have to consider the fact that they, they didn't adapt the cartoon itself. They adapted the musical and the mm. musical. Based on the cartoon, um, which I love because you have st- we, that gave us Stanley Tucci as a piano, and he was brilliant.
7: And I didn't even realize that was him until the very end. <laughs> I didn't recognize him at the very beginning, and then all of a sudden at the end, I was like, "Oh my god,
6: that's Stanley Tucci!" Oh, I'm such a huge Stanley Tucci fan. I love all of his roles, um, even the creepy ones, unfortunately, because you know the creepy ones, whenever you love an actor or an actress and then they play this ultra creepy role. And sometimes it just ruins it for you. Um, But he's still, he's great in whatever he does. And I was so happy that he was um, the piano and he was an Italian in the, as the piano too. He wasn't the, as the maestro. I just, I loved all of them, but I did not.
7: So I, I did, but I didn't like how they had the last pedal fall and everyone started dying. I did, because it added more
6: tense. It was to more tension.
7: It did, but I was not prepared for it. So, I'm sitting there going...
6: But the witch was there already! The sorceress was there already! So, I mean, you know, everything worked out well in the end.
7: No, I know. But when Mrs. Potts was looking for Chip... And she didn't know where he was. And then all of a sudden chip comes flying. And I'm like, Oh my God,
6: is chip going to break? Cause if chip breaks, I'm walking out of this movie theater right now. <laughs> the whole time I'm sitting, sitting there and I'm like, just sighing with my head on my husband's shoulder. Like I was just loving every minute of it. And I, like, when she was singing, um, I want Adventure in the great white somewhere. I was crying. I was crying during that part. I'm not too ashamed to admit that. Um, I, I was actually,
7: definitely crying by the end. I got, I had goosebumps like the whole time. Whenever anyone sang, I started getting
6: goosebumps. Off and on, I was crying through the whole thing, and it was so funny because at one point, Ryan leans over to me. He's like, "You know, our trip to France isn't going to be like this." And I responded with, "Challenge accepted. <laughs> I will randomly sing in the Paris streets. Mark my words." <laughs> with enough wine fuck, I don't need wine, and it just <laughs> start singing randomly. There's this wonderful meme, they're like, um, um, musicals went out of style because people don't randomly break into song, and then there's a thing underneath where it's like, clearly you've never been to my house.
7: <laughs> <laughs> it was, I really want to go see it again, because mm-hmm. I just, I just want
6: to go see it again. I, I know. I think okay. I need to bug my stepmom, because my, my, I don't think my dad wants to see it with her, so I'm going to have to be like, Hey Carol, let's go to the movies. Um, because I want to
7: go see it with my mom. Because I remember going to see that in the theater when the cartoon came out, just to make me feel really old.
6: I got it for Christmas on VHS.
7: I'm pretty sure. i That was oh, when I. Yeah. I, don't know. I definitely remember going to see Aladdin in the movie theaters mm-hmm. and The Lion King in the movie theaters.
6: I saw Aladdin and the Little Mermaid in the movie theaters. My yeah. godmother took me to go see it. Oh, my mom didn't take me to the baby movies when I was a kid growing up. Um, so I really, really wanted Beauty and the Beast, and it was on my Christmas list, so I got it. And I just remember watching it. it was, that was when I watched it for the first time, and I was like, this movie is everything. Belle is everything. <laughs> that Belle is my princess.
7: This movie is life.
6: And I totally related it to, to it, too, because I felt like an outsider in my little town that I was in. And I felt I wanted something bigger. I wanted something better. I wanted adventures and travel. And in the great wide somewhere? Exactly. Did you yeah. want it more than you could tell? I did. Oh. I wanted it way more than I could tell. I wanted it way more than I can even tell now. <laughs> and so, it was, yeah, Belle was totally – she was my princess.
7: Well – It was such a good movie, and clearly... We need to talk about Dan Stevens as a beast, though. Oh, my gosh. He... So they didn't make him look, like, as beastly as I would have thought. But he was still quite beastly. I mean, he
6: he he still looked human. It was...
7: Yeah, he looked human. It just... They did a really good job, and... In the cartoon... Uh, this Okay, this is going to sound really weird, but I liked him better as a beast than when he turned back into a prince.
0: Mm-hmm.
7: Like, I just, I really didn't like Adam as a beast. He was I mean, so pretty, boy. Adam. He was way too pretty.
6: Yeah, but I like him, and well, I like Dan Stevens, because he was, um, he played, played Matthew Crawley on Downton Abbey, and I was a big Downton Abbey fan. And so I already had that little crush on him as being Matthew. And it oh, was just like, oh, be still my heart. It was,
7: I, I don't think, um, Rich said that he had, he had read articles or seen things on Facebook about people complaining that they could have found a better bell. A better and, bell? And I really don't know who they could have cast that would have played a better bell than Emma. Awesome. Wow, I just blanked on her last name, Emma Watson. Watson.
6: Well, there were, there are were multiple things that go on with Emma as Belle. I mean, she's got the looks for it. She could pass off as Belle. But she is a bookworm in real life. And she's somebody that book, other bookworms kind of fangirl over.
7: I mean, she leaves books in subways randomly. Yes,
6: you know, she has her own book I would pay, you know
7: how much money I would pay to find one of her books in a subway somewhere? You know, right?
6: I'm like, crap. I'm hoping that when I, on our way through uh, to Paris, we have a layover at Heathrow. And I'm going to be keeping my eye out for a book. Just in case she happens to be going through Heathrow, too. And, oh, gee, she leaves a book behind. Um, So, yeah, I'm so hoping for that.
7: I might hate you forever if that happens. But.
6: (laughs) (laughs) You'll never. Not only do I get to go to France, but I find a book from Emma Watson. um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, there is no amount of um France, paris or um london shot glasses that will ever make up for that
7: no you're gonna have to send me the book and then i will send it back <laughs> when i'm done
6: we'll see we'll see if you ever send it back you might be like oh no no i haven't read it yet no two years later oh no i just haven't read it yet I- i'm sorry I i'm getting remember. to it it's next on my list i promise. Yeah, and then we're like 85, and you're like, oh, okay, I finally read the book.
7: <laughs> Here, you can have it back now. <laughs> All the, yeah. All the wine stains there are purely accidental, but then I just realized I would never let a book get close enough to wine to get wine stains on it.
6: Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I let it get yeah, close enough, but I'm very careful about what stains I get on it. There's no wine stains or coffee stains on, or tea stains on my book.
7: Lil, uh, was it Lily or Lynn? I think it was Lily left well lily left a glass of water on my bookshelf and landon got a hold of it and knocked it over so there's like six or seven books that are like all puffy from water damage and it's, it's it was a very rough day when i found that
6: yeah yeah i don't blame you
7: well i think we are at our hour now so
6: we are our hour already i know
7: it won't by fast I
6: did. Now I actually have to go work on stuff. I know. Oh, now I have to go to bed. I have to do a presentation, and I actually have to do some other writing. And I have to prepare for April Ida eat. So if you guys are actually following me on my blog, Creating Her Story, uh, starting in April, I am going to be doing, um, for every letter of the alphabet, I'll be doing a bio on a woman. Um, for example, on Saturday... We start off with the letter A, and my um, the woman I'm doing the bio on is Anna Mae Wong, the first Chinese actress. And I've it's really it's really weird and really interesting in the light of all the current events happening with um, the whitewashing of Asian um, actors and roles, whitewashing of Asian roles in in Hollywood, and the struggles that she went through as an Asian actress. So check out creating her story and. Um, come and read all the stuff that I'm writing on that. And cheer me on so that I can actually make it through the whole alphabet this year.
7: You can do it. I believe in you.
6: Last year I made it to T. So, no, I made it to V. So I missed, like, four. I was four short before I, before I stopped and lost and lost it.
7: Well, I'll check in around, like, N to see how we're doing.
6: Oh, no, I expect you to keep on regularly. You okay. You have to check out regularly. Okay. <laughs> I watch regularly. <laughs> you don't get a pass.
7: Well, thank you everyone for joining us, yes. and um, we'll see you all next week.
6: and before we go, um, okay. pick your book whether you're reading Guests on Earth or you're reading Z. Um, if you're reading Guests on Earth, it's how many chapters? Oh, it's fifteen chapters. So we're figuring how many months, how many weeks we got in this month. Let's quickly do math because math is hard. Yeah, let's do
7: math after a glass of wine.
6: <laughs> one glass for you, like two for me. All right, so I've got four we've got four weeks. They're coming in on the 30th, right? The 25th. The 25th, okay. Oh, I'm looking at March. Okay, that'll explain why I was like, 25th, that's a Saturday. Okay, so today's the 30th, so we've got one, two, three, four weeks. So... Let's say for next week, we're gonna for uh, guests on Earth. We're going to do chapters one through four.
7: I'm sorry, I keep yawning. I don't mean to keep yawning.
6: It's late for you, so that's okay.
7: And there's no chapter breakdown here, so just read if you're reading.
6: <laughs> well, go to the back and see what the chapter last chapter is.
7: Okay. Well, if you want to be smart about it. Oh, <laughs> well, let's see.
6: This is what so happens. Oh, she does a number? No. Oh.
7: Oh no, wait, they are. Okay. Just kidding. So I think the last one I saw was
6: 52. So just read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just read your little hearts out if you choose Z. Let's go. <laughs> if your team guests on Earth, chapters one through four. Oh yeah. Make it easy. <sighs> totally. All right. Hey, everyone. Have a good night. <laughs>